This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. To learn more or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Reading today by Webb Webster, www.webslog.com. Franklin, Tennessee, June 2007. Winesburg, Ohio by Sherwood Anderson, Section 8, Godliness, Part 2, also concerning Jesse Bentley. David Hardy of Winesburg, Ohio, was the grandson of Jesse Bentley, the owner of Bentley Farms. When he was twelve years old, he went to the old Bentley place to live. His mother, Louise Bentley, the girl who came into the world on that night when Jesse ran through the fields crying to God that he be given a son, had grown to womanhood on the farm, and had married young John Hardy of Winesburg, who became a banker. Louise and her husband did not live happily together, and everyone agreed that she was to blame. She was a small woman with sharp gray eyes and black hair. From childhood she had been inclined to fits of temper, and when not angry she was often morose and silent. In Winesburg it was said that she drank. Her husband, the banker, who was a careful, shrewd man, tried hard to make her happy. When he began to make money he bought for her a large brick house on Elm Street in Winesburg, and he was the first man in that town to keep a manservant to drive his wife's carriage. But Louise could not be made happy. She flew in to half-insane fits of temper during which she was sometimes silent, sometimes noisy and quarrelsome. She swore and cried out in her anger. She got a knife from the kitchen and threatened her husband's life. Once she deliberately set fire to the house, and often she hid herself away for days in her own room and would see no one. Her life, lived as a half-recluse, gave rise to all sorts of stories concerning her. It was said that she took drugs, and that she often hid herself away from people because she was so under the influence of drink that her condition could not be concealed. Sometimes, on summer afternoons, she came out of the house and got into her carriage. Dismissing the driver, she took the reins in her own hands and drove off at top speed through the streets. If a pedestrian got in the way, she drove straight ahead, and the frightened citizen had to escape as best he could. To the people of the town, it seemed as though she wanted to run them down, when she had driven through several streets, tearing around corners and beating the horses with the whip, she drove off into the country. On the country roads, after she had gotten out of the sight of the houses, she let her horses slow to a walk, and her wild, reckless mood passed. She became thoughtful and muttered words. Sometimes tears came to her eyes. And then, when she came back into town again, she drove furiously through the quiet streets. But for the influence of her husband and the respect he inspired in people's minds, she would have been arrested more than once by the town's marshal. Young David Hardy grew up in the house with this woman, and, as can be well imagined, there was not much joy in his childhood. He was too young then to have opinions of his own about people, but at times it was difficult for him not to have very definite opinions about the woman who was his mother. David was always a quiet, orderly boy, and for a long time was thought by the people of Winesburg to be something of a dullard. His eyes were brown, and as a child he had a habit of looking at things and people a long time without appearing to see what he was looking at. When he heard his mother spoken of harshly, or when he overheard her berating his father, he was frightened and ran away to hide. Sometimes he could not find a hiding place, and that confused him. Turning his face toward a tree, or if he was indoors, toward a wall, he closed his eyes and tried not to think of anything. He had a habit of talking aloud to himself, and early in life a spirit of quiet sadness often took possession of him. 
On the occasions when David went to visit his grandfather on the Bentley farm, he was altogether contented and happy. Often he wished that he could never have to go back to town, and once, when he had come home from the farm after a long visit, something happened that had had a lasting effect on his mind. David had come back into town with one of the hired men. The man was in a hurry to go about his own affairs and left the boy at the head of the street in which the hardy house stood. It was early dusk of a fall evening, and the sky was overcast with clouds. Something happened to David. He could not bear to go into the house where his mother and father lived, and on an impulse he decided to run away from home. He intended to go back to the farm and to his grandfather, but lost his way, and for hours he wandered weeping and frightened on country roads. It started to rain, and lightning flashed in the sky. The boy's imagination was excited, and he fancied that he could see and hear strange things in the darkness. Into his mind came the conviction that he was walking and running in some terrible void where no one had ever been before. The darkness about him seemed limitless. The sound of the wind blowing in trees was terrifying. When a team of horses approached along the road in which he walked, he was frightened and climbed a fence. Through a field he ran until he came into another road, and getting upon his knees fell to the soft ground with his fingers. But for the figure of his grandfather, whom he was afraid he would never find in the darkness, he thought the world must be altogether empty. When his cries were heard by a farmer who was walking home from town, and he was brought back to his father's house, he was so tired and excited that he did not know what was happening to him. By chance David's father knew that he had disappeared. On the street he had met the farmhand from the Bentley place, and knew of his son's return to town. When the boy did not come home, an alarm was set up, and John Hardy, with several men of the town, went to search the country. The report that David had been kidnapped ran about through the streets of Winesburg. When he came home there were no lights in the house, but his mother appeared and clutched him eagerly in her arms. David thought she had suddenly become another woman. He could not believe that so delightful a thing had happened. With her own hands, Louise Hardy bathed his tired young body and cooked him food. She would not let him go to bed, but, when he had put on his nightgown, blew out the lights and sat down in a chair to hold him in her arms. For an hour the woman sat in the darkness and held her boy. All the time she kept talking in a low voice. David could not understand what had so changed her. Her habitually dissatisfied face had become, he thought, the most peaceful and lovely thing he had ever seen. When she began to weep, she held him more and more tightly. On and on went her voice. It was not harsh or shrill as when she talked to her husband, but was like rain falling on trees. Presently, men began coming to the door to report that he had not been found, but she made him hide and be silent until she had sent them away. He thought it must be a game his mother and the men of the town were playing with him, and he laughed joyously. Into his mind came the thought that his having been lost and frightened in a darkness was an altogether unimportant matter. He thought he would have been willing to go through the frightful experience a thousand times to be sure of finding at the end of the long black road a thing so lovely as his mother had suddenly become. During the last years of young David's boyhood, he saw his mother but seldom, and she became for him just a woman with whom he had once lived. Still, he could not get her figure out of his mind, and as he grew older, it became more definite. When he was twelve years old, he went to the Bentley farm to live. Old Jesse came into town and fairly demanded that he be given charge of the boy. 
The old man was excited and determined on having his own way. He talked to John Hardy in the office of the Winesburg Savings Bank, and then the two men went to the house on Elm Street to talk to Louise. They both expected her to make trouble, but were mistaken. She was very quiet, and when Jesse had explained his mission and had gone on at some length about the advantages to come through having the boy out of doors and in the quiet atmosphere of the old farmhouse, she nodded her head in approval. "'It is an atmosphere not corrupted by my presence,' she said sharply. Her shoulders shook, and she seemed about to fly into a fit of temper. "'It is a place for a man-child, although it was never a place for me,' she went on. "'You never wanted me there, and, of course, the air of your house did me no good.' It was like poison in my blood, but it will be different with him. Louise turned and went out of the room, leaving the two men to sit in embarrassed silence. As very often happened, she later stayed in her room for days. Even when the boy's clothes were packed and he was taken away, she did not appear. The loss of her son made a sharp break in her life, and she seemed less inclined to quarrel with her husband. John Hardy thought it had all turned out very well indeed. And so, young David went to live in the Bentley farmhouse with Jesse. Two of the old farmer's sisters were alive and still lived in the house. They were afraid of Jesse and rarely spoke when he was about. One of the women, who had been noted for her flaming red hair when she was younger, was a born mother and became the boy's caretaker. Every night, when he had gone to bed, she went into his room and sat on the floor until he fell asleep. When he became drowsy, she became bold and whispered things that he later thought he must have dreamed. Her soft, low voice called him endearing names, and he dreamed that his mother had come to him and that she had changed so that she was always as she had been that time after he ran away. He also grew bold, and reaching out his hand stroked the face of the woman on the floor so that she was ecstatically happy. Everyone in the old house became happy after the boy went there, the hard, insistent thing in Jesse Bentley that had kept the people in the house silent and timid and that had never been dispelled by the presence of the girl Louise was apparently swept away by the coming of the boy. It was as though God had relented and sent a son to the man. The man who had proclaimed himself the only true servant of God in all the valley of Wine Creek and who had wanted God to send him a sign of approval by way of a son out of the womb of Catherine began to think that at last his prayers had been answered. Although he was at that time only fifty-five years old, he looked seventy and was worn out with much thinking and scheming. The effort he had made to extend his land holdings had been successful, and there were few farms in the valley that did not belong to him. But until David came, he was a bitterly disappointed man. There were two influences at work in Jesse Bentley, and all his life his mind had been a battleground for these influences. First, there was the old thing in him. He wanted to be a man of God and a leader among men of God. His walking in the fields and through the forests at night had brought him close to nature, and there were forces in the passionately religious man that ran out to the forces in nature. The disappointment that had come to him when a daughter and not a son had been born to Catherine had fallen on him like a blow struck by some unseen hand, and the blow had somewhat softened his egotism. He still believed God might at any moment make himself manifest out of the winds or the clouds, but he no longer demanded such recognition. Instead, he prayed for it. Sometimes he was altogether doubtful and thought God had deserted the world. He regretted the fate that had not let him live in a simpler and sweeter time when, at the beckoning of some strange cloud in the sky, 
Men left their lands and houses and went forth into the wilderness to create new races. While he worked night and day to make his farms more productive and to extend his holdings of land, he regretted that he could not use his own restless energy in the building of temples, the slaying of unbelievers, and in general, in the work of glorifying God's name on earth. This is what Jesse hungered for, and then also he hungered for something else. He had grown into maturity in America in the years after the Civil War, and he, like all men of his time, had been touched by the deep influences that were at work in the country during those years when modern industrialism was being born. He began by buying machines that would permit him to do the work of the farms while employing fewer men, and he sometimes thought that if he were a younger man he would have given up farming altogether and started a factory in Winesburg for the making of machinery. Jesse formed the habit of reading newspapers and magazines. He invented a machine for the making of fence out of wire. Faintly, he realized that the atmosphere of old times and places that he had always cultivated in his own mind was strange and foreign to the thing that was growing up in the minds of others. The beginning of the most materialistic age in the history of the world, when wars would be fought without patriotism, when men would forget God and only pay attention to moral standards, when the will to power would replace the will to serve and beauty would be well-nigh forgotten in the terrible headlong rush of mankind toward the acquiring of possessions, was telling its story to Jesse, the man of God, as it was to the men about him. The greedy thing in him wanted to make money faster than it could be made by tilling the land. More than once he went into Winesburg to talk with his son-in-law John Hardy about it. "'You are a banker, and you'll have choices I never had,' he said, and his eyes shone. "'I'm thinking about it all the time. "'Big things are going to be done in the country, "'and there will be more money to be made than I ever dreamed of. "'You get into it. "'I wish I were younger and had your chance.' "'Jesse Bentley walked up and down the bank office "'and grew more and more excited as he talked. "'At one time in his life he had been threatened with paralysis "'and his left side remained somewhat weakened. "'As he talked his left eyelid twitched. "'Later... When he drove back home and when night was come on and the stars came out, it was harder to get back the old feeling of a close and personal God who lived in the sky overhead and who might, at any moment, reach out his hand, touch him on the shoulder, and appoint him some heroic task to be done. Jesse's mind was fixed upon the things read in newspapers and magazines, on fortunes to be made almost without effort by shrewd men who bought and sold. For him, the coming of the boy David did much to bring back, with renewed force, the old faith, and it seemed to him that God had at last looked with favor upon him. As for the boy on the farm, life began to reveal itself to him in a thousand new and delightful ways. The kindly attitude of all about him expanded his quiet nature, and he lost the half-timid, hesitating manner he had always had with his people. At night, when he went to bed after a long day of adventures in the stables, in the fields, or driving about from farm to farm with his grandfather, he wanted to embrace everyone in the house. If Shirley Bentley, the woman who came each night to sit on the floor by his bedside, did not appear at once, he went to the head of the stairs and shouted, his young voice ringing through the narrow halls where for so long there had been a tradition of silence. In the morning, when he awoke and lay still in bed, the sounds that came to him through the windows filled him with delight. He thought with a shudder of the life in the house in Winesburg, and of his mother's angry voice that had always made him tremble. 
There in the country all sounds were pleasant sounds. When he awoke at dawn, the barnyard back of the house also awoke. In the house people stirred about. Eliza Stoughton, the half-witted girl, was poked in the ribs by a farmhand and giggled noisily. In some distant field a cow bawled and was answered by the cattle in the stables, and one of the farmhands spoke sharply to the horse he was grooming by the stable door. David leaped out of bed and ran to the window. All of the people stirring about excited his mind, and he wondered what his mother was doing in the house in town. From the windows of his own room, he could not see directly into the barnyard where the farmhands had now all assembled to do the morning chores, but he could hear the voices of the men and the neighing of the horses. When one of the men laughed, he laughed also. Leaning out of the open window, he looked into an orchard where a fat sow wandered about with a litter of tiny pigs at her heels. Every morning he counted the pigs. Four, five, six, seven, he said slowly wetting his finger and making straight up-and-down marks on the window ledge. David ran to put on his trousers and shirt. A feverish desire to get out of doors took possession of him. Every morning he made such a noise coming downstairs that Aunt Callie, the housekeeper, declared that he was trying to tear the house down. When he had run through the long, old house, shutting the doors behind him with a bang, he came into the barnyard and looked about with an amazed air of expectancy. It seemed to him that in such a place tremendous things might have happened during the night. The farmhands looked at him and laughed. Harry Strader, an old man who had been on the farm since Jesse came into possession, and who, before David's time, had never been known to make a joke, made the same joke every morning. It amused David so that he laughed and clapped his hands. "'See, come here and look,' cried the old man. "'Grandfather Jesse's white mare has torn the black stocking she wears on her foot.' Day after day through the long summer, Jesse Bentley drove from farm to farm and down the valley of Wine Creek, and his grandson went with him. They rode in a comfortable old phaeton drawn by the white horse. The old man scratched his thin white beard and talked to himself of his plans for increasing the productiveness of the fields they visited, and of God's part in the plans all men made. Sometimes he looked at David and smiled happily, and then, for a long time, he appeared to forget the boy's existence. More and more every day now his mind turned back to the dreams that had filled his mind when he had first come out of the city to live on the land. One afternoon he startled David by letting his dreams take possession of him. With the boy as a witness he went through a ceremony and brought about an accident that nearly destroyed the companionship that was growing up between them. Jesse and his grandson were driving in a distant part of the valley some miles from home. A forest came down to the road and through the forest... Wine Creek wriggled its way over stones toward a distant river. All the afternoon Jesse had been in a meditative mood, and now he began to talk. His mind went back to the night when he had been frightened by thoughts of a giant that might come to rob and plunder him of his possessions, and again, as on that night when he had run through the fields crying for a son, he became excited to the edge of insanity. Stopping the horse, he got out of the buggy and asked David to get out also. The two climbed over a fence and walked along the bank of a stream. The boy paid no attention to the muttering of his grandfather, but ran along beside him and wondered what was going to happen. When a rabbit jumped up and ran away through the woods, he clapped his hands and danced with delight. He looked at the tall trees and was sorry that he was not a little animal to climb high in the air without being frightened. 
Stooping, he picked up a small stone and threw it over the head of his grandfather into a clump of bushes. "'Wake up, little animal. Go, climb to the top of the trees,' he shouted in a shrill voice. Jesse Bentley went along under the trees with his head bowed and with his mind in a ferment. His earnestness affected the boy, who presently became silent and a little alarmed. Into the old man's mind had come the notion that he could bring from God a word or a sign out of the sky, that the presence of the boy and the man on their knees in some lonely spot in the forest would make the miracle he had been waiting for almost inevitable. It was in just such a place as this that other David tended the sheep when his father came and told him to go down unto Saul, he muttered. Taking the boy roughly by the shoulder, he climbed over a fallen log, and when he had come to an open place among the trees, he dropped upon his knees and began to pray in a loud voice. A kind of terror he had never known before took possession of David. Crouching beneath a tree, he watched the old man on the ground before him, and his own knees began to tremble. It seemed to him that he was in the presence not only of his grandfather, but of someone else, someone who might hurt him, someone who was not kindly but dangerous and brutal. He began to cry, and reaching down, picked up a small stick which he held tightly gripped between his fingers. When Jesse Bentley, absorbed in his own idea, suddenly arose and advanced toward him, his terror grew until his whole body shook. In the woods an intense silence seemed to lie over everything, and suddenly out of the silence came the old man's harsh and insistent voice. Gripping the boy's shoulders, Jesse turned his face to the sky and shouted. The whole left side of his face twitched, and his hand on the boy's shoulder twitched also. "'Make a sign to me, God,' he cried. "'Here I stand with the boy, David. Come down to me out of the sky, and make thy presence known to me.' With a cry of fear, David turned, and shaking himself loose from the hands that held him, ran away from the forest. He did not believe that the old man, who turned up his face and in a harsh voice shouted at the sky, was his grandfather at all. The man did not look like his grandfather. The conviction that something strange and terrible had happened, that by some miracle a new and dangerous person had come into the body of a kindly old man, took possession of him. On and on he ran, down the hillside, sobbing as he ran. When he fell over the roots of a tree, and in falling struck his head, he arose and tried to run again. His head was hurt, so that he presently fell down and lay still. But it was only after Jesse had carried him to the buggy, and he awoke to find the old man's hand stroking his head tenderly that the terror left him. "'Take me away. There's a terrible man back there in the woods,' he declared firmly while Jesse looked over the tops of the trees, and again his lips cried out, "'God, what have I done that thou dost not approve of me?' he whispered softly, saying the words over and over as he drove rapidly along the road with the boy's cut and bleeding head held tenderly against his shoulder. End of Section 8